0: climate change is one that that bothers me because it was long ago proven that it's real. It's, you know, it exists. Uh, and to me long ago, there should have been a, we, any reporting that, that question, whether it was true, should have just been, no newsroom really should have in, in a, in an attempt to be balanced. You shouldn't spread false information like that. And what I think the, the better benefit would have been is to acknowledge that it's real and I don't care if there's a Republican approach and a Democratic approach, but the two parties should have there should have been pressure for the public to understand that this is going to impact your life one way or the other. Uh, and then to help sort of motivate politicians to go, OK, well, you know, we've got our Republican approach. You've got your Democratic approach somewhere in the middle. And we'll meet and and hopefully, you know, take real steps to help solve it.
1: Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest. We're back again today with another awesome conversation with another awesome guest. And so as media personalities, as guest, I guess you can call us that. We've been doing this for about a year and a half. We've been battling misinformation all year long. You know the purpose of the show is to educate. And so we always want to educate you about different topics. And today we're educating you about misinformation and to help us sort this out and sort out this rise of misinformation, we're joined by another great expert. His name is uh, is Mike Webb. He's the Senior Vice President of Communications for the News Literacy Project. And so just to give you a little bit of background about uh, Mike, he is the NLP Senior Vice President of Communications, and he's responsible for maintaining and in really expanding their online presence, managing their media and public relations, and supporting other teams with communication needs. And early in his, earlier in his career, Mike spent five years at ProPublica, where he was the nonprofit newsroom's first communications professional. And he has also held communications positions at the Brennan Center for Justice and The Nation magazine. And he also led sales and marketing efforts at the online news site Honolulu Civil Beat. So Mike is an expert and we are excited to have him on the show. Thanks for joining us.
0: Hey, thanks a lot. I I appreciate the invite and I'm excited to talk with you.
1: Absolutely. So like I say, we want to start with the rise of misinformation. That's our first segment. That's our theme here. And for many of us, I don't think we actually realized we were sliding into an era of misinformation. It's kind of like we woke up one day. and was like, oh, you know, lies are being told on television and being repeated by people who hold very high, uh, you know, positions in office. And even in our politics, misinformation. You know, like a lot of people think, it actually didn't really start with President Trump. It really happened a you know some time before him. Many people say. Misinformation has been used in politics before. But when I really first remember hearing, you know, lies just being told on television or in in newspaper radio was when President Obama got into office and the birther theory, the birther conspiracy theory came out. And it was, you know, people were thinking he was a Muslim. They didn't think he had a birth certificate. I mean, just wild things were being said about him. And we're not talking about just regular everyday people. We're talking about real politicians who are running for office. Were repeating these same conspiracy theories that they knew to not be true, so I guess you know just to start it off here, you know, in your opinion, when did you kind of realize that being loose with the truth and, and pushing conspiracy theories was really starting to take hold in our politics?
0: Um. Well, I'm I'm similar to you. I think it really started to really hit home uh, around the, the the presidential election with. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, I think that's when Donald Trump really popularized the term fake news and and kind of brought it back because it's a very old term and misinformation dates back to basically whenever they had the printing presses. So um, but I I, I agree with you in that that that's when it really kind of became clear that the media had to start to think about or the news media had to think about how are we going to cover somebody who is saying something that is not demonstrably true. And they really kind of have to take a step back and, and consider, you know, do you want to help this person promulgate what they're, what they're saying, even though it's not necessarily true or, or how do we balance this and find a way to report that's going to be fair, but also acknowledge, you know, the, the, the truth.
2: No, that's right. And I mean, I think that that's the, the issue. It's like, how do we figure out truth? Because it's like, you know, some people will say that their truth is is a is a matter of freedom of speech. You know, you've got a lot of people who aren't wearing masks or who not even you know refusing to quarantine themselves because of research. And I guess as a democratic society, we can't just. Sanction, you know, different experts or media outlets, and say you can't speak um, because you know we've got a you know freedom of press. So, you know, Mike, how how do we you know protect this freedom of speech, freedom of the press, but also work to control you know misinformation that we have out there?
0: So that's what we're all about. Uh, the News Literacy Project basically helps people learn how to determine fact from fiction, and I think that's where you start is by helping people understand. Uh, how they can check things that when they hear it, are they, it, it, we, we try to give them the skills so that they can look and see if it's true for themselves. So if you hear, um, if you hear something that, that places doubt on the COVID vaccines, well, there's plenty of sites that have data behind how effective they are, uh, you go to the CDC and, and, and get everything that's there. So there's just lots of. I, I think it all begins with helping the public understand how to how to sort fact from fiction, how to take steps to recognize when they're seeing it, uh, and how to take steps to sort of check it and verify it on their own.
1: I think that's that's great, and and just to go back to you know a point you made earlier about how hard it was to cover, you know candidate Donald Trump and then President Donald Trump, I really, I don't think people really understand that and appreciate what it, what you were saying when you say it is difficult to cover someone like that. Because when you think about past presidents, you assume that the president is going to go up there and speak at the podium and what he's saying is true or mostly true. We know presidents have a way of being, you know, getting around it, but you assume that what they're saying is mostly true. You've never been in a, I wouldn't say never, but I think the news media was kind of caught off guard a little bit where you had a candidate and then president who just blatantly said things. So not to put you on the spot, but just maybe talk a little bit more about that and and why that was so different from past presidents or candidates. And maybe, you know, some examples of, I know you can't pick size, but maybe some media organizations that maybe handled President Trump well, and then others may have really struggle trying to figure out how to actually handle and cover him.
0: Yeah, I I think it's been it's been a real adjustment for the news media, because in the past, it's not like every president was always honest and always said the the truth. So, you you know, you have to kind of step back and look at how do we handle it then? And now what are we going to do with a person who is saying the election was stolen, even though, there hasn't been any evidence that it was stolen. And, and when it was presented, the courts have almost unanimously thrown it out. So um, it, it, it's a real new era for the for, uh, journalism. But I, I think one of the things we try to encourage pe- uh, people to think about are high quality newsrooms kind of abide by different guidelines. And we've kind of broken it down to seventy seven different standards that newsrooms have that tend to be more credible and you can kind of trust the information they have. So newsrooms that sort of show that they're, they're balanced, that they, they do their best to avoid uh, bias, they, they uh, look for credible sources and they make those sources available for you, uh, their audience, so that you can check it. Um, they're fair, they document everything, uh, and they provide context. And when they make a mistake, they are transparent about it. So those tend to be the types of newsrooms that that I think you can find trustworthy Mm. as far as winners, as far as who did it well and who didn't. We really try to avoid that because we're strictly not partisan. But I think those standards that I just read off, those are the things that you can make your own determination about whether the news you're getting is is high quality or Mm. or suspect.
2: You know, that's a great point uh, that you you ended on. And it's a great way to, you know, round off this segment here because it takes us into our second segment, um, which, you know, you've already said our second segment theme, separating fact from fiction, um, because that's an important uh, part of the process. So, listeners, we've had a great uh, first segment. Stick with us. We know that we're going to continue to have more great segments. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation, and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our second segment here. Remember, we're joined today by Mike Webb, Senior Vice President of Communications at the News Literacy Project. And Mike, like I said in the, before in our break, there you led up uh, to the second segment, separating fact from fiction. You know, we we all just got done. You know, at the you know at Thanksgiving, we're about to get ready to go to Christmas. I had a three-hour conversation with you know with the relative at Thanksgiving that you know. Did not plan for it to go that long. It was a long conversation. Um, on your website, on the News Literacy Project's website, you y'all have a, a piece that kind of helps to de-escalate some of this conversation. And three things that you point to are patience, empathy, and persistence. Whenever you're dealing with, you know, people who don't believe, or rather, who believe in misinformation. But Mike, my, my my I think about a lot of these people who are like, trump loyalists never vaxxers anti-government anti-science all those sorts of people you know what tips can you give people as we get you know because we know that christmas is another time where we're going to have these heated conversations how do we stick to this pep method when you're faced with almost ignorance and almost intolerance to facts
0: well um okay that's a tricky question but um I mean, I I I think it's first. I think the pet method is really good because it's it's patience. So you've got to understand that this person didn't get to their beliefs like overnight. It was probably something they maybe they watched a the YouTube video and then YouTube served up every you know video after video just like it, whether it's accurate or not. So so they didn't get there easy, and you're not going to get them out of these beliefs easily. It's going to take some time, and then empathy is just you know, stand in their shoes, understand that maybe they were lonely and they found a connection with a group that is promulgating misinformation. And maybe that's that's kind of why they're doing it. So you got to really step back and understand why are they so resistant to believing this. And then persistence is just staying at it because like we're saying, it, it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to kind of kind of understand that you've got to, uh, got to keep pushing. But, but, but some particular, two particular skills that everybody can sort of learn are, um, we call it lateral lateral reading. It came from uh, the Stanford History Education Group. And what they recommend is if you see something that doesn't make sense, open up a tab, and Google it, and see. Um, so we encourage people to visit fact-checking sites because uh, if you see something, um, like we, we have a lot of examples of celebrities wearing T-shirts, and those those kind of images on a t shirt are very easy to manipulate. So you get if you know you can do a reverse image search and look on that image and and find out if it's real or not. So so we're, those two searches are are two two easy tips that uh, that you can do on your own to help protect yourself.
2: And you know those are important things to do because one quick little follow up. You know I, I was getting on the plane. And someone sent me a story uh, of some media group saying that, you know, people who were being vaccinated were having like blood clots and heart attacks on planes or something like that. And and they trusted it. They told me to cancel my flight and, you know, I shouldn't fly because I've been vaccinated. I'm going to die or whatever. And there's a lot of there's been a lot of people who who find sources of news that they find to be credible and experts who have pretty much started to justify anything. I mean, you even had some experts who were, you know, saying Donald Trump was right with bleach or whatever. How do we, you know, go about weeding out these, you know, bad experts and combating these facts from sources that seem credible to some people but not to others?
0: So I, I think one thing to remember is the First Amendment is very important because it gives us a, a right to speech. And even when we find speech we disagree with or that is misleading, they do have a right to do it. So for me, it's not about shutting them down. It's about beating them with, with winning the battle of ideas and facts. And I do believe facts matter. I, I always use the example like how can you balance your checkbook if you don't know how much money you have in your accounts? Mm -hmm. That's a fact-based, there's a certain amount of money coming in. There's a certain amount of money going out. So, so you have to live in the reality world to some degree.
2: A lot of people find credible sources from, from everywhere. And just, and it's so amazing because I know you 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 know talked about those seven categories of how to you know define if someone's credible. And even me, sometimes I'll go to a website. I mentioned this to Devin when we get our quick hits. I was like, I'm not sure if this site is as credible because it's it's you know a couple holes here, missing there, but it looks like it. I mean, they've got a Facebook, a Twitter. They've got these reporters and journalists, and it it, it just makes it seem like all these people who are putting out news are legit sites.
0: Yeah, no, and that's important. And that's that's so are those those standards are, are definitely one key to to the quality of their work. Um, you can look at individual reporters and, and see how often they're cited. You can see if the fact check sites uh, link to 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 certain new sites and that'll help you verify information. But that that's what it all comes down to is you've got to live in a fact based world. And, and there are ways to to find the facts behind anything um there's often you know people who spread disinformation are doing it deliberately to confuse the conversation and to to you know leave room for vaccine deniers who grab onto one little item that might be true like a like a you know there there was a problem with one aspect of of covid or i'm sorry who will latch onto yeah. just one little tiny detail and they'll try and blow that up into something much bigger than it is. And and so um, you do have to be careful with people like that.
1: No, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. And I think, you know, where you were going, it's like the the blood clots issue. Like there was some questions about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Right, right. That, caused blood clots. that was a legitimate issue that the, the FDA, they were all looking into it. But people were taking that instance and that report and blowing it up into saying, "Oh, the vaccines are going to cause you to have blood clots; it could kill you. You don't need to get it." And it made it into a much larger issue than it really was, and it scared a lot of people from getting it. And I think that's the problem because it's like once those things get out there, it's hard to pull it back and be like, oh, "Actually, you know, this isn't quite true because there is just it may be ten percent true." They're going to hold on to that ten percent and say, "Well, technically, somebody had a, got blood clots due to a vaccine," and it's, you know they'll use that. Um, right. But I, I kind of wanted to ask about too. So, you know, Adrian was talking about it. Anybody can go out there and create a website, write a story, put a byline, and call it a fact. And, you know, um, I can't remember her name, but she worked with the Trump administration. She coined the term "alternative facts." That's where we are now with facts people have their own facts. Everybody's got their own truth. And so social media has really amplified this times a hundred, where political conversations never end, and you get an endless stream of misinformation. And I guess the question was, while we know it's impossible to stop every single false tweet or false Facebook post, do you think, you know, I know you can't pick sides, but do you think social media companies could be doing more to maybe combat misinformation? Or do you think Congress needs to get involved to make you know these technology companies put more parameters in place to stop the spread of misinformation?
0: Yeah. So um, the social media companies could definitely do a lot more uh to, to slow misinformation. And that's a real problem. Um And, 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 and you pointed out earlier that misinformation tends to spread further and faster than accurate information. So, because it, you know, it manipulates people's emotions and they, they laugh or they get angry and then they post it and share it and there it goes, it's off. So, so that's a real problem. And that's something that we do is we try and tell people to check your emotions when something kind of moves you that way. Like that's when you need to slow down and and make sure and, and verify, um, but, but I, I, I don't know. I think um, I don't think that well. we don't have a position on what Congress should do, but we do have a position that the social media companies could, A, be a lot more transparent about um, the, the data that they have on everybody, and they should give much greater access to researchers who are looking at it and, and how people manipulate people uh, online. Um, I think they could actually sort out misinformation much faster. Mm -hmm. I think YouTube is especially bad because they, um, they, like I said earlier, they have the the algorithms that are going to recommend people and pull them down into these conspiracy theory rabbit holes. And they just and they've basically acknowledged that they're not doing enough enough because uh, they're they're you know, like every every few months they make an announcement that, yeah, okay we're going to pull all this misinformation uh, about the COVID vaccines off. So so, yeah, they should be doing more. And then for Congress, I think it's I think there probably is a smarter way to regulate the social media companies. Um, You don't want to step on, uh, you know, they're trying to be very careful in that they give their users room to say what they want. But, you know, when it's wildly misleading or or harmful to your health, that's when they really have to step in. And um, that's a really tricky line to navigate in my mind. So I don't know. I mean, ideally, the social media companies would would take steps on their own without um, required. But I do think that Congress can explore the the size of the social media companies uh, because some of them uh, definitely have what appear to be monopolies in my mind. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, if there's a way of breaking that up and creating greater competition and letting people have better choices, then that might that might be one way uh, to go forward.
1: No, I, I definitely agree. I think we have to acknowledge that, you know, the the, mon- the the morning newspaper has gone from a tangible thing to now it's just your cell phone, it's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That's your newspaper for a lot of people, and you can't control you know, what news is shared on those uh, platforms right now. I mean, you can control it somewhat, but they, like you say, can do more. Um, I did want to ask one last question before the break. This is, it's pretty broad, but I just wanted to see if you had a take on this, as far as what role do us as citizens and Americans have in allowing this information to spread? Because this doesn't just happen on its own. You know, Donald Trump can go up there and say things all he wants to, but it takes someone believing it and sharing it online for this becoming as big as an issue as it has. And so do you think that, you know, Americans have changed a little bit? We are more polarized than we've ever been. And have we changed to where, because we want to hear the information that we agree with all the time, that that has now led us to just believing almost anything if it comes from the right source what do you what role do you think that's playing in all of this um
0: david i think that
1: that's key
0: and that that's really the heart of the problem is it, you know i kind of talked about it earlier people belong to groups and they have tribes and and information that you know um is outside of their thinking is is very hard to come hard for some people to come to grips with so um, I think it's a it's it's a real concern, and I don't I don't know. I, I often talk about that. Part of the issue with with um, misinformation is you've got to help address the um, emotional need that people have in in spreading it, because you know you you I I don't have a, an example in mind, and, and again, since we're nonpartisan, you know, I really don't. Uh, want to get into anything that's critical about any one party but um, you do see like okay if I can go here for a second we have a, a, a weekly newsletter that comes out during the school year called the sift um, and, and a, a version for the general public called get smart about news and it has the the, the memes hoaxes uh, just like examples of misinformation that's really mm-hmm. circulating far and widely and how it was debunked And that's the kind of thing that I would encourage people to sign up for uh, because you'll see we have the example of the tweet or the Facebook post and then kind of knock it down and show how it's not true. And I think as people start to learn those skills and really start to value that facts matter, that they have to make decisions that are fact-based, then I think those are the kind of skills that will, will help, I don't want to say save us, but at least help us avoid misinformation.
2: I think you're right, Mike, in saying save us because it it is a, I find it to be not a scary, but a, a difficult point where we are in history where, you know, people just accept different levels of what a fact is. It's like, you know, we, we, we can't just say a chair is a chair or the sky is blue. It's like, everyone's got a different interpretation of what that means. And um, and I, I hope that through more conversations like this we can get back to you know one accord to say you know we believe that you know you know climate change is a is a problem or we believe that you know uh, that minority communities have been disenfranchised and we need to help i mean there's there's a lot of different things that i feel like we're you know, having this, you know, battle because some people believe one set of facts and some people believe another one. But um, we are thankful that, you know, that you all are working to kind of help cipher some of this. And what we're going to do, listeners, we're going to take another break here. And when we come back, we're going to get into our third segment, which is really talking about building awareness for news literacy, uh, which is what Mike and the News Literacy Project are doing. So, listeners, stick with us. We'll be right
1: back. Would you like
2: to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com. Forward slash Black Agenda Pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Getting into our third segment here. Remember, we're joined today by Mike Webb, Senior Vice President Communications for the News Literacy Project. Like I said before the break, Mike, our third segment is about awareness for news literacy. We always like to, you know, have a segment talking about how to take this thing forward. And, you know, we, we know that there's a lot of, you know, news outlets, a lot of, you know, sources that you can get your uh, information from. And one of the things that I look at is the fact that one of our most vulnerable segments in our society is our youth. You know, the youth of the next generation. Uh, and with with them being, you know, having so much social media and things like that in front of them, we know that they are very vulnerable But one of the things that we reported on, we see it on your site, we see it in other states, news literacy is starting to be a part of the curriculum for school districts, which is a great opportunity. But in my mind, I feel like you have to kind of structure it so that you don't have maybe a California educator versus a Mississippi or Texas educator who wants to put a a certain perspective to it. So Mike, how do we go about making sure that as we do take these steps to introduce news literacy, they're actually beneficial and don't work to necessarily push any agenda or any bias?
0: Yeah, well, Adrian, um, the way the education system is structured here, it's it's state by state. So it's always going to be how this one state wants to approach news literacy or, or even if they want to at all. So uh, the states control how their, their students are educated. So there's always going to be differences there. But um, what we're really advocating is that states come up with some kind of curriculum, some kind of mandate uh, to require news literacy to be taught. And it can take uh, its shape in many different forms. But um, basically, we're, we're hoping that there's a that... Well, what we often say is that uh, news literacy sh- should be part of any kind of civics curriculum, uh, because as you teach people to respect the government and understand the government and just generally know how it actually works, um, I think that that's where news literacy comes in. And because uh, the, the quality newsrooms are all about holding the powerful accountable. So they're the ones that are, that's, that's, they're the fourth estate. And we need them to be functioning and we need people to understand how they work so that the, the, the whole system's functioning in a, in a way that's productive for, for the citizens.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And and one thing to kind of press on this subject, because uh, I know a lot of this is happening in you know schools and high schools or for things like that. Um, your organization is, you know, doing a lot to help with community outreach and making sure that all you know, people, adults, kids, no matter what, can get some of those services. So um, just a little plug for you and your organization. What are some of those community outreach services and tools that you all are working to provide to adults to give them the same level of resources?
0: So we sort of have two different audiences. One are educators uh, who use our resources and teach them in middle and high school classes. So we have a um, uh, an online learning platform called uh, Checkology Virtual Classroom, and that's got 14 different lessons that basically help people understand different types of information, uh, how newsrooms make their their coverage decisions, um, understanding the First Amendment, and just basically everything that really is related to news literacy. Um, then I mentioned the, um, the, uh, the newsletters that we do. There's one for educators and one for general public called get smart about news. We have uh, an app called informable. Um, So you can, it's sort of a brain training game that helps you understand whether it was an ad or, or not, or, was it news or actually opinion? So it kind of gets you thinking and understanding the difference between news and opinion in these things. Uh, and it's really uh, very helpful in 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 um, gaining those news literacy skills. We have uh, a podcast. Uh, you can listen to that. This This season is all about false narratives and understanding the real impact that they have on people. So we used uh, the first example was 9-11 and how all the conspiracy believers Uh, came out and we kind of showed how um sign was it um popular mechanics debunked all those all those things and 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 they talked about how they debunked it so even if you refuse to believe the truth they at least provided you a path to get there to see the evidence so uh so that was a good one so that that's another resource and then and then lastly we if as an educator we have um um it's called Newslit Nation, and it's where educators can sort of work together, communicate with each other, and understand how they're incorporating news literacy skills and teaching into their classrooms. Uh, and they can kind of talk about what's working, what's not, and get tips on how to uh, use some of the other different resources we have. So th- those are some of the ways people can um, I- interact with us and learn more about news literacy. Awesome. Oh, All
1: awesome. of those are... Are awesome. No, go ahead, Adrian. Sorry. Oh, no, I
2: was just going to oh. say, awesome. Uh, thank you for I just wanted to make sure we do a little plug for the organization. And I like the uh, false narratives. I think Devin mentioned this probably in like season one or two, probably both of them talking about the narrative that the false narrative that's been placed on us as black people in America. So I'm glad that y'all are working. So <laughs> Adrian, Adrian,
0: <laughs> we actually are hoping to produce a show about race. So the mm. the the next the next one's going to be about covid. Uh, and we found a Republican who didn't believe in it in in covid. And sure enough, he threw a party and it was a spreader event. And his he, he lost a couple of people close to him. Um, but then the other one we're doing is about immigration um, and, you know, uh, there were people here before Europeans got here. What? So, so you know, that that whole what? false narrative, it's, <laughs> it's kind of, we're breaking that down and talking about how it came about and the language that's used. So I'm really proud of the show, and I think it's something that people will be interested in, and you'll, you know, hopefully see how these false narratives develop and get incorporated and then how people have to step back and go, well, that's not quite true. So, So, yeah, I hope people will listen.
1: <laughs> no, that, that sounds awesome. And that's kind of why we have our podcast is education. Just trying to explain topics that you don't hear a lot about that you may have heard a whisper here, a whisper there. You're trying to put it together. We want to etch it out for you and explain what this really means and what are the facts surrounding it. Um, but I did want to ask, too, you know, you have your your outreach services. You We talked a little about, you know, about the news curriculum was kind of slowly working its way into school districts, districts around the country. But one thing I think will also need to be done is some some relationship building between the news media and the American people and the citizens and the folks who read because we all know that the relationship between the news media and the the citizens is pretty precarious right now. It's there's a lot of mistrust between you know the people who watch television and part of me feels as though the the, the media has somewhat earned it in a way because the reporting is different. It's more in my opinion it's more sensationalized, especially if you watch cable television. I'm not I don't mean to call them out, but CNN I feel like is the worst offender of this the the breaking news all the time, sensational headlines and blurring to me sometimes blurring the lines between opinion shows and fact shows. Like where is the line here where you have an opinionist really talking as if they're stating facts? And this is not just CNN, but it's across all the networks. And so it has led to a very big level of, of mistrust. People just don't trust what they are hearing on television because they're saying, well, that's just his opinion. That's not a fact. And then, two, Adrian talked about it earlier. What's your barrier to entry for so-called experts? Like, how are you vetting these people before they go on these shows and spouse the things that they're saying? And so, you know, I guess the question after all of that <laughs> was... How do we slowly start to mend this relationship between the news media and the people who consume it? Like, how do we start not to put you on the spot, but how do we start to take some steps to fix that relationship?
0: Well, I, I think that's the key issue is mm-hmm. is the the lack of trust in the news media is really what is damaging to people not trusting institutions that, you know, were designed to 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 be the federal government and to protect us and be acting in our interests. So I think some of the ways the, the news media can rebuild that trust is opening up the newsrooms, dialoguing with their communities, having a more diverse staff. Uh, When you have those things, stories that aren't told, get told, and that helps the community understand, Hey, this, this news outlet is actually cares about me and, and my concerns. So um, those are some small things that should happen. I think on the on, on the larger scheme, you can rebuild trust when people understand how newsrooms make decisions, and that's all part of news literacy—is trying to get people to go inside and understand these people operate by a code, uh, um, and 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 it's really tough because they want to be fair. You want to be you. you, you um, I'm sorry, just, I'm just getting kind of wilded up, but like climate change is one that that bothers me because it was long ago proven that it's real. It's you know, it exists. Uh, and to me, long ago, there should have been a, we, any reporting that that question, whether it was true, should have just been no newsroom really should have in, in a in an attempt to be balanced. You shouldn't spread false information like that. And what I think the the better benefit would have been is to acknowledge that it's real. And I don't care if there's a Republican approach and a Democratic approach, but the two parties should have there should have been pressure for the public to understand that this is going to impact your life one way or the other. Uh, And then to help sort of motivate politicians to go, okay, well, you know, we've got a Republican approach. You've got your Democratic approach somewhere in the middle. We'll meet and, and hopefully you know, take real steps to help solve it. So
2: you know, that, my,
0: that that's, yeah, I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> uh, no, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Keep going if you have. No, no, uh, no, no no, gonna, no, no. I was just going to say what you said at the end, that was, that was huge, you know, being able to ex- both sides accept that this is a fact, but just say that we have different approaches to solving it. It's I feel like that's okay. <laughs> like, I think we're in a point right now where it's like, we, we, we can't say that, like one side wants to say it's a problem and the other side wants to say it's not. It's OK to say that it's a problem, but maybe one side say we need to put 50 percent efforts into it versus the other side might say we need to do 80 percent. It's <clears throat> it's just uh, thank you, Mike. I, you may have solved uh, American politics right there If if we can get more people to listen to it. Um, So what we'll do, listeners, before we uh, end, we always got to do a final message here. Uh, Mike's been uh, talking to us. Great stuff here, but we always got to end with that. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back.
1: Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support, and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show.
2: All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's end our conversation with Mike uh, with our final message. Remember Mike Webb, he's a senior vice president of communications for the News Literacy Project. And just to set the stage for your final message, Mike, you know, I think Devin may have said this, but it seems like misinformation wasn't really much of a topic of debate before President or former President Donald Trump. Um, From testing our democracy to challenging institutions like the CDC and NIH really set the stage to kind of blur the truth and put it more based on perspective. And now we're really entrenched. And you said this, Mike, where everyone's in their own beliefs with little concern or regard to listen to the other side. But in a democracy, it takes open and honest communication for us to make it all better for everybody. So, Mike, you know, we know that this is going to be a, a problem that we're going to probably maybe take some generations to solve, but to give us some energy for the change and the charge, why is news literacy important to strengthen our democracy?
0: Uh, because it helps everybody make fact-based decisions, because once you understand how the the news is reported, why it's reported... Um, how to how to make sure that what you're reading is actually verified, fact based information. Then you can start to have politicians who develop policies that are based on you know f- f- widely agreed upon facts. So that's that's how it protects the democracy. It sort of makes sure that the uh, voters are well informed, and then they can make rational decisions about their beliefs and how government and um, um, elected officials should operate. So that that's why it's important.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, if you're wondering why we covered misinformation here at the black agenda, I mean, Adrian kind of said at the beginning, you know, as, as black people we have suffered at the hands, you know, because of misinformation about our community and myths and, you know, conspiracy theories about how we are as people. I mean, some people didn't think we were human at first. They thought we weren't human or something. And then it just went on from there. So misinformation can have a real world effect. And I think that's one thing I hope people get out of this is that regardless of where you lean politically, if you don't do your research beforehand, before sharing an article, or you share a fact and you know it's not completely true, There is someone who could read that and take action because of that, that has a real-world implication and effect. It does not just stay on Twitter, Facebook, um, and Instagram. You know, it's people read it now, and there's so much of it, like you say, on social media. It's nonstop. So people are making real-world decisions. They're making decisions not to take a vaccine because of something that they listen to on YouTube. Like, we have to understand, it is not as simple as we once thought it was. Things are are very real now. And I appreciate you coming on, Mike, and just Talking about your organization, the uh, the News Literacy Project, and what you're trying to do to educate people on how to spot this stuff, you know.
0: Yeah, Think yeah. Thanks, Devin. Steps. We yeah. we do have a we have an infographic called "Sanitize Before You Share," and it sort of gives you awesome. some tips on how to just check information. Like, scroll through the comments when you see in a social media post that sounds kind of iffy, and see if somebody else has raised objections. There's lots of easy, not time consuming things you can do to to make sure you're you're spreading good information
2: good we we appreciate that mike what you all are doing and appreciate you for coming onto our uh our podcast and talking about this um this is an important topic because you know we all consume news whether it's on our cell phones tv in our conversation and if we can't consume it in a way where we can decipher fact from fiction and get to a consensus that you know This is an issue. We need to address it. This is how we do it. Um, we'll never, you know, we're not going to make this democracy a better place. And I think if politicians really want to own up to the oaths that they're talking about, they'll, they'll work on doing that in a better way that doesn't make it to be one side or the other. But before we let you go, you've plugged it a few times on the show, but we want to make sure our listeners know how they can find and listen to your podcast, as well as keep up with the happenings of the news literacy project.
0: Yeah, for the podcast, just go visit newslet.org slash podcast, or you can find it uh, on any service. It's called uh, Is That a Fact? And like I said, it's on every premium podcast service, so you can check that out. Um, if I can, let me give two quick tips.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah go for it. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, The last week of January uh, January of 2022, January 24 to 28, is National News Literacy Week. And uh, I encourage people to come to our website that week because we're going to have different conversations going on that you can participate in. We'll have quizzes on the website so you can measure how news literate you are. Um, We're just going to have a lot of different things going on. And I think that'll be a really great week for people to learn uh, some valuable news literacy skills. And then the other thing um, I, I just would like to draw attention to is that we're, we're hoping that states will start to pass legislation that requires news literacy to be taught. So that's kind of the next step of our evolution is is really getting states to provide some kind of financing uh, and guidance to educators so that they can make teaching news literacy seamless and like it's part of of civics. So that that's our hope for the future.
2: Good. We will, uh, we hope that that happens. <laughs> we'll be there right with you because uh, Dev and I, we're going to keep this platform going for quite some time and involve it into uh, a news literacy uh, foundation or news media outlet, something like that. So we'll definitely yeah. be getting some tips on how we can work to make sure that as we educate the community over news, we can do it in a non partisan, unbiased way. So, Mike, uh, we appreciate you being on the show. Listeners, remember, we've had Mike Webb, Senior Vice President of Communications at the News Literacy Project. Uh, make sure you stick with us, listeners. Uh, we're going to take another break. Devin and I are going to come back and give you an insight into our upcoming schedule. So stick with us. We'll be right back.
1: You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guess and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, Let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black
2: Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show.
1: All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we'd like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. Uh, So first up, our next episode is going to be coming out this weekend. It's going to be weekly roundup number 25, the 25th one of the season coming to you Saturday, December 11th. So make sure you stick around for that. That'll be me and Adrian talking to you about all the news from the past week. It's our opportunity to give you our opinions, our commentary with some funny news and also some, some hard news about what's going on in the world around you. So make sure you tune in for weekly roundup number 25. Uh, This Saturday, December 11th. Now, after that, coming up the following Tuesday on December 14th, that'll be our next uh, regular scheduled episode. This time we're talking about government spending. And the name of the episode is, can we pay for this? Because if you don't know, you should know our government has spent a lot of money over the last couple of years. We're talking trillions, not billions. And so. Uh, we're going to be discussing can we even pay for this can we afford this and our guest for that interview is going to be miss amy hanauer she is the executive director of the institute on taxation and economic policy and so again awesome conversation with amy she was great so make sure you tune in tuesday december 14th we're talking about government spending and how can we pay for all of this so make sure you tune in For that. So speaking of paying for things, it also takes money to pay for the black agenda and the things that we do here. And there are actually actually some ways you can help us out by donating and Aja's going to let you know how you can do that.
2: Uh, like Devin was talking about, you know, we like to transition, you know, from talking about taxation and how that can pay for great things. We're going to talk about how you can pay for great things through the black agenda uh, by donating to us. You know, we always say that we're not here to talk to you about the issues. We're not here to just, you know. You know educate you. We're here to actually bring about some change. Um, you know, we're gonna do it through those things, conversations and education. But it takes money to build movements in our country. That's what Dev and I are trying to do. All you got to do is go to our website, blackagendapod.com. If you listen to us through the Podbean app, there's actually a donate tab right there that you're looking at right now. Go ahead and click it. You know, don't don't delay. But when you go to our website or you click that tab, you're going to see different levels that you can give from a dollar all the way up to $100 a month. And you'll also notice that when you give to Devin and me, you get things back from us. We give you shout outs. There's thank yous. You can even be, you can even appear on our show. So like I said, go to our website, BlackJinderPod.com, click the donate tab and start giving. The other thing, uh, we've only introduced this charity uh, once. And this is the second time because it's a new month, new charity of the month. And it's a great time to introduce this one um, to you because we're talking about misinformation. And this is a a news organization almost. It's called Unicorn Riot. They're a nonprofit media organization of journalists. So it really goes hand in hand to what Mike Webb was talking about with having a nonprofit media organization. They engage and amplify the stories of social and environment struggles from the ground up uh, from 2015, uh, they've been a commercial-free platform. They operate non-hierarchical, independent of corporate or government control. So it's a really, really interesting organization. Like I said, they are called Unicorn Riot. Go to them. If you you need a new media source, check them out. Like I said, nonprofit. Try not to push any sort of agenda. Commercial-free, which means they're not taking money from you know, businesses and trying to advertise. So like I said, Unicorn Riot, go go ahead and check them out.
1: Exactly. Make sure you check them out. Give to them, give to us, give to everyone. It is the season of giving here um, at the Black Agenda. So we're going to wrap this up. Again, another great episode. We hope you enjoyed Mr. Mike Webb from the News Literacy Project. We definitely enjoyed talking with him about misinformation. Um, So make sure you check the News Literacy Project out also. That's another great organization that's doing some great work. Um, So again, for me and Adrian here, we appreciate you sticking around and staying with us. Please make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. And again, our handle is at Black Agenda Pod. So follow us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then also find us on YouTube. Just search the Black Agenda Podcast. And you will find me and Adrian there talking with a lot of different people, a lot of great conversations about a lot of different topics. So make sure you check us out there. And so until our next episode, which is coming to you on Saturday, we'll catch you next time.